Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. I want to thank you all for being here this morning. Behold our God. We beheld him in song. My prayer is that we all behold him from this passage of Scripture this morning. There's, There's a saying that is kind of popular right now. You'll often hear it uh, from younger people. You know, someone may uh, criticize you or me. Uh, They may lay an unjust accusation or pass an unjust, unrighteous judgment on our motives for doing something. And often the response, particularly from younger people, and it would be appropriate for an older person as well, might be, you don't know me. Have you heard that? You don't know me. So in other words, you shouldn't be passing judgment. The implication is if you knew me, you would think or speak differently. Think also about friendships. Maybe you meet someone new, someone new at work, a new neighbor, or maybe even uh, a relationship uh, that might turn to be uh, romantic. You want the other person to know you, to know who you are, what you stand for, what your likes and your dislikes are. We just have this desire as human beings created in God's image to know one another, to get to know one another. It's a very strange uh, person who really doesn't want to know anyone else, who doesn't care about anyone else. Certainly that should never be the attitude of the believer in Christ. In this passage, we're going to find out something about God. If you like titles, the title of today's message is God Wants to Be Known. God wants to be known. And that comes right from the verses that our brother Joe read for us. What is this passage really about? What this passage is really about is found in verse 29 of chapter 6 and verse 5, particularly verse 5 of chapter 7. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh the covenant God, the God who made a covenant, an agreement, a contract with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, with the Jewish people. I am known by my covenant name in Exodus chapter 3. I am, when Moses says, who should I tell them? Sent me back to Egypt to deliver them. Tell them, I am, Yahweh has sent you. I am who I am. Tell them, I am has sent me. That's the covenant name of God. Verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. 
when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. That's what this passage is about. God wants to be known specifically to the Egyptians here, but by extension, as we look throughout Scripture, we see that God wants to be known. And he wants his son, whom he sent, Jesus Christ, to be known as well. In this passage, God is revealed as a God who wants to be known in a covenantal way. Recall that I said he used the covenant name. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. He he said it in verse 5 of chapter 7. That's his covenant name, his name of relationship. What does it mean, covenantal way? A covenant is a contract, it's an agreement. We know of it from the new covenant, in Christ's blood. It involves a relationship. When one enters into a covenant, there is a relationship between the two parties in the covenant in the contract, in the agreement. Perhaps the best illustration of what a covenant relationship is like can be found in something which we don't often phrase it this way much any longer, but historically, it was always termed a covenant, the marriage covenant. Think about the marriage covenant between a husband and a wife, two parties who agree together to be married. They exchange vows or promises that each makes to the other. Whether they be the classic vows or whether they write their own vows, they make these promises and they enter into a covenant, a marriage covenant. Think of the intimacy of that covenant. Think of the knowledge that they will gain of each other as they live out that covenant over the days and weeks and months and years of their marriage. This is how God wants to know each and every person who enters into the covenant, whether it be the covenant that he made with Abraham or whether it be the new covenant through the blood, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. God wants to be known in a special relationship with those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He wants us to know him intimately the way he knows us intimately. God is revealed in this passage as a God who wants to be known. He said he even wanted the Egyptians to know that he was the Lord. If you take only one thing away from today's message, let it be this. God wants you to know him intimately in covenant relationship with him. If you are already a believer in Jesus Christ, you've already placed your faith and trust for your eternal salvation in the finished work that he did on the cross when he bore the sins of of the world in his body, underwent the wrath and judgment of a holy God, his Father, and paid the penalty 
in his life and his life's blood on that cross for the sins of the world. If you already know him, he wants you to grow and know him more and more every day that you walk with him on this earth. If you're here this morning and you don't know him, you've never trusted in what Jesus Christ did, God is calling you through the gospel, through his word, which reveals the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's calling you to come to the cross. Lay all your failures, lay your addictions, lay your sin, lay your spiritual poverty at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting there with open arms. If you will humble yourself and believe in him and what he did on the cross instead of trusting in empty works that will never save, that will never erase a single sin that you or I have committed, offenses against the holy God, if you've never trusted in what Christ did, he's calling you this morning to place your faith and trust in the covenant that Jesus Christ enacted through his body and blood. God wants you to know him intimately in covenant relationship with him. As we go through this passage, we're going to see it neatly falls into four parts. God wants to be made known through you. Imagine that. The infinite, eternal God wants to be made known through you who trust in him, through you and I, finite, flawed human beings. God wants to be known through partnerships, not just through one individual alone or an individual here and an individual there. He wants to be known through partnerships, and we'll see what's involved there as we get to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 7. God wants to be known even though some will reject him. He knows who's going to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knows who's going to reject that gospel just as he knew Pharaoh would reject the word of God spoken through Moses and Aaron. God wants to be known through lifelong obedience, and we'll see how that comes out. So let's get right into this. God wants to be made known through you. This blows my mind how an infinite, holy God can be made known through someone like me. Or perhaps you might feel the same about yourself. The way God wants to be known, it's not up to us to decide how to make God known. God has already provided the message for you and I to use that will make him known. We know that's the gospel from the scripture. Specifically in this passage, the Lord would give the exact words to Moses that Moses would speak to Aaron and Aaron would then give to Pharaoh. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord, speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. Our message to the world is the same message, in a sense, that God gave to Moses to speak through Aaron to Pharaoh. 
We're to speak God's message, not our own message. Just as Moses was to do that. Moses was not to ad lib. Moses was not to make up his own message. He was to speak to Pharaoh only what the Lord told him. He was a prophet. He spoke every single word exactly the way the Lord told him to speak it. He didn't add anything. He didn't leave anything out. He didn't change anything. You know, God, I, I, Lord, I, I think I have a little better way of expressing this to Pharaoh. No, he didn't do that. That's not the job of the prophet. That's not the job of the evangelist as well. We are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, not our version of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not to say that there's no place for your testimony. There is a place for your testimony about what Jesus Christ has done in your life since you trusted in him. There is nothing wrong, especially when one is a new believer, a younger believer in Christ. And simply saying what the man who was born blind said in John chapter 9. Whether this man, Jesus, is good or bad, I don't know. All I know is once I was blind, but now I see. That is a personal testimony. We each have our own personal testimony. But our personal testimony alone, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, doesn't save. So when you give out your personal testimony, hand a tract out with it. Or explain, if you're able to, explain the gospel to the person that you're giving your testimony to. What is the gospel? In summary form, Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For I delivered to you that which also I received from the Lord. He says that, on, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. And then he lists some that he appeared to. The gospel is very simple. Christ was God's lamb, the sin bearer. Behold the lamb of God, God's lamb, the lamb that God provided without spot and without blemish. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist saw his cousin Jesus coming and he pointed and directed everyone's attention to him. Behold the lamb of God, God's lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The Jews would bring their own lambs to the temple to sacrifice. Those just looked forward to Jesus Christ, God's lamb, the lamb that God provided to take away once for all the sin of the world. That is the gospel. Jesus Christ is the sin bearer. He bore the sins of the world in his body he underwent the wrath and judgment of God so that all who trust in him would never experience that wrath and judgment if they would simply place their faith and trust in what Jesus did, not in what we might try to do, not in our prayers, not in our attempts of good works, not in our observing church traditions, not in our giving, 
There's nothing that we can do. The scripture is so clear. God saved us in Titus chapter 3, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes, for by grace, unmerited favor, an undeserved act of kindness. That's what the word grace means. For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works. Why? He tells us that no one should boast. Salvation is a gift of God. It's not something that can be earned or worked for or merited. We have nothing. What, what price would you put on the blood of your only child? What price? What would you ask for someone in exchange for the blood of your only child? No, no. I, I think about my children. Their blood is priceless. I would never take money in exchange for their blood. There's not enough money. I would never do it. It's priceless blood. It could never be bought. As a father, it's incomprehensible to me that I would ever take any money, anything, in exchange for the blood of either of my children. Think about that. God sent his only beloved son. He gave us his very best. God views the blood of his son as priceless. You cannot pay for that blood by anything you do, by any amount of money. It's priceless to God. Just as the blood, any of you who are parents, you know your children's blood is priceless. You'd accept nothing in exchange for their blood. God has provided this message. Not only did Christ die, but to show that God was satisfied with his death, he raised Christ from the dead. He gave, Christ rose in victory over sin and death and hell, and he has provided the victory to everyone who trusts in him. Death no longer has power over us. Eternal death. Eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. Instead, he's given us the gift of eternal life in heaven with him and his beloved son. God has provided the message. All we need to do is repent of our sin, turn from our sin, and cry out to God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The scripture says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the gospel. This is the message that he's given to us to share. If you can only do it in a tract, by all means, share it in a tract. If you can do it with your own words that are faithful and true to the gospel of Scripture, then do that as well. But God has provided the message. Let's never neglect that message in favor of our own message. 
God can always use you to make him known. Let me ask you a question, especially for those who have been Christians for a number of years. Have you ever struggled with something year after year after year? You're walking with the Lord. You want to please him, but you're struggling. It may be lack of self-confidence that you can serve and bring him glory. It may be a sin area in your life. It may be a bad temper. It may be hurtful words. It might be sinful pride. It might be a focus on worldly things. And you've struggled with it year after year, over and over again. God has revealed to you, has made plain to you through Scripture that you can have the victory over that. But you seem stuck back there. After all these years, I'm still stuck there. You can relate to Moses. Notice what he says here. He's already said this to the Lord twice, and now it comes up a third time. The Lord has responded to him before. Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? The Lord's already told him, Who made man's mouth? He already told him, I'm going to send Aaron with you. And he'll speak then. And yet Moses seems to be stuck here. Whether he's just using it as an excuse so that he doesn't have to go speak to Pharaoh, or whether he sincerely believes it, the Lord has already addressed it. It really doesn't matter which side you fall on. The Lord has addressed it. The Lord has told him, don't worry about it. I got it taken care of. He said the first time, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be there. What do we have to be afraid of if the Lord's going to be there with us as he was with Moses? God can always use you to make him known. Even if it's just with your own testimony, once I was blind, but now I see. Once my life was full of darkness and despair and depression. But now I have joy in the Lord. I look forward to every day getting up and being with him. And this tract will tell you how you can have victory as well through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God can always use you. If you are a believer in Christ this morning, I don't care who you are, what you feel your inadequacies might be, God can use you. Here was a man, Moses, who couldn't speak. Whether he stuttered or whatever, we don't know, but he says he's unskilled in speech. I'm not convincing. I don't speak very well. And yet God says, I will be with you. He says he's going to send his brother Aaron to help him. God can always use you. We have no excuse as believers in Christ for not speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ to those in need. God doesn't just want to use us alone. God wants to be known through partnerships with others. God has others that will help you 
make him known. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I make you as God to Pharaoh. What does he mean there? Just as God would have spoken to Moses and then Moses to Pharaoh, Moses, God is going to speak to Moses, and Moses is going to speak to Aaron, and then Aaron will speak to Pharaoh. I will make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. God has others. Here it's his brother Aaron. You know, the idea, and you see this sometimes, you have a zealous young man who wants to serve the Lord. And so what does he want to do? He wants to go out and start his own church. And he does it alone. I've seen this happen more than once. You all, if you've been at Grace Gospel Church for a long time, you've seen it happen as well. Think about, for one moment, Paul the Apostle. Can you think of another man in the New Testament who seemed to be as committed to Christ, as gifted as he was in so many different ways? Can you think of someone more capable than Paul? I, I can't. He, he's about the most capable individual that I see in the New Testament and how God used him. Did God send him out alone? No. He sent him out with an older man, Barnabas, on the first missionary journey. After the first missionary journey and Paul and Barnabas parted ways, Paul goes out on his second missionary journey. Alone? No. With Silas, another man. If anyone could have gone out alone, it would have been Paul. But that's not God's way. In the New Testament, we see Paul teamed up. We see Peter and John even bringing the gospel after Philip the evangelist brought the gospel into Samaria Peter and John go down together. Why not just Peter alone? But it was Peter and John. Again, too, when we read the, the book of Acts, we see not only was Paul and Silas together, but sometimes Timothy was there, sometimes Luke, and a number of others as well, serving the Lord together. You don't have to serve alone. Moses didn't have to speak to Pharaoh alone. Find someone else who shares the same passion for a particular area of service, whether it be in the local church or whether it be sharing the gospel. Team up with that person. There's safety in numbers, they say. Team up. Share the responsibility. I'll tell you, if, if I were to go out and share the gospel... I'd team up with Fred Poulin. And you know something else? He would do 80 to 90% of the talking, and I would hold the tracks and pray. I recognize in Fred the heart of an evangelist, the gift of an evangelist. And that would be the person I would team up with to share the gospel in Kennedy Park and Fall River or wherever. 
I wouldn't do it alone. I'm like Moses. I'm unskilled in speech. I let Fred do that talking while I stand there and pray for the person that he's speaking with and pray for Fred. Team up. Serve together, whether it be in evangelism or another area. We don't have to serve alone. Iron sharpens iron, Proverbs says. So one man sharpens the countenance of another. God has others that will help you make him known. We don't have to go it alone. God has different roles for you and for others that will make him known. The Lord says to Moses, you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. There's different roles. Fred can share the gospel much better than I can with those who need to know it. My role would be to pray, maybe say something from time to time if Fred wanted me to. Otherwise, Fred would share the gospel. I'm just using that as an example. Your situation might be different. Your area of service might be different. Your partnership with someone might be different. It might be 50-50, but it might be 90-10. It doesn't always have to be equal, and the roles don't always have to be precisely identical. God wants to be known even though some will reject him. <clears throat> Fear of rejection finds its root in sinful pride in our heart. Look, I get it. None of us like to be rejected. But if you share the gospel, it's very unlikely that 100% of the people that you share the gospel to or you share the gospel with are going to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's extremely unlikely. Look, not everyone that Christ shared the good news with believed in him. Not everyone that Peter and Paul shared the good news with believed in Christ. I shouldn't be surprised if when I share the gospel, it is rejected by the vast majority of people. God wants to be made known even though he knew from eternity past who would reject him. And yet, I'm afraid of being rejected when I share the gospel, and that, that keeps me quiet. For some people, that's the case. I've had people come to me, and even a, a, as a young believer, sometimes that fear of rejection silenced me. You know, I, I've been laughed at, I've been ridiculed, I've been spit on, I've been shoved when I've shared the gospel. But shame on me if I don't share the gospel with those in need. Fear of rejection is never a good reason. God knows who's going to reject him, and yet he still wants to be known even to those who will reject him. Do you remember what God told Samuel? Samuel was the last judge of Israel. He judged the nation of Israel. He was God's representative in deciding matters amongst the people. And they wanted a king. And Samuel's upset over this. 
And God says to Samuel, they haven't rejected you, they have rejected me. When we share the gospel and that gospel message is rejected, they haven't rejected us, they've rejected Jesus Christ. And yet, he still wants the gospel shared even with those who reject him. God has the power to make himself known. In verses 3 and 4, we see this come out. In verse 3, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt. I'd like to come back to that in a minute. In verse 4, when Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgment, the ten plagues that he would bring upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians in order to get Pharaoh to say, okay, go, get out of here. I don't want you in my land any longer. You can leave. God has the power to do it, and he'll do it by great judgments. <clears throat> he says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Our brother Joe touched on this last week, and I'd like to touch on it again. He did a great job explaining this. When we look, and you can do this, it's an easy search if you have electronic Bible software. It's very easy to do. Search for the word hard and all variations, hard, hardening, harden. Just in the book of Exodus, and look at all the times Scripture says Pharaoh's heart was hard. Ten times it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Other times, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Other times, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, but we're not told whether Pharaoh hardened it or God hardened it. It appears it was probably more like Pharaoh hardening his own heart. If you look at all the instances of that, certain things start to become clear. I did this in preparation for this message. I did it many, many years ago as well. <clears throat> One thing you won't see is how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You don't see the mechanism by which God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I, I've talked with a lot of atheists on this, interacted with a lot of atheists discussing this because they will often accuse God of being unjust in hardening Pharaoh's heart and condemning Pharaoh, and even taking his life in the Red Sea when the sea came back, and they're claiming God was unjust. I asked them, how did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Do you think for one second the finger of God came down and touched Pharaoh's heart and said, be hard? Not a single atheist I've ever said that to has said, yeah, that's how it was done. They have no answer. They don't know how because the Scripture doesn't explicitly say how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But when we see Pharaoh's heart was hardened, as we start to look at each instance of it, here's some things that we find the hardening of Pharaoh's heart associated with. The word of the Lord is spoken through Moses to Aaron to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh hardens his heart. 
or Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Because of the word of the Lord, let my people go to worship me. Now his heart is hard. We find other times that the power of God in some of the plagues, the initial plagues, when those plagues came down, when God revealed his power, Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart, I don't believe actively, but passively. He withdrew his grace. He tried to show Pharaoh his power, but Pharaoh rejected that. Pharaoh rejected God's word. And as a result of rejection of God's grace through his word and through his power, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Take a look at those instances. Either there's going to be no association and we can't say how Pharaoh's heart was hardened or we'll see that it's connected with the word of God or the power of God displayed to Pharaoh. God did not force Pharaoh to reject his message or his power. Pharaoh chose to do that on his own. God knew that Pharaoh would not listen. This is a prophecy in verse 3. He didn't harden Pharaoh's heart here. This is a prophetic word from the Lord God. But I will, in the future, harden Pharaoh's heart. How? Through his word, through a demonstration of his power. Later on, as the plagues get harsher and harsher, when a plague comes on, Pharaoh and the Egyptians... Pharaoh says, okay, you can go. But then once the plague ends, Pharaoh no longer being exposed to God's word or the power of God in that plague, in that great judgment, Pharaoh changes his mind. When one is not exposed to God's word or God's power, one rebels against God. And that's exactly what Pharaoh did time and time again in the later plagues. God called these plagues great judgments. You know, there's a greater judgment than that, than any of the ten plagues. It was the judgment of his only begotten son on the cross. That was a far greater judgment. Notice he says, I will bring out, I will redeem my people, the sons of Israel, by a great judgment. God chose to redeem lost mankind through a great judgment, the great judgment of his son on the cross when he bore the sins of the world in his body, underwent the wrath and judgment of God when he cried out at, after three hours of darkness, having been on the cross for six hours now, the last three, darkness over the face of the world. Christ cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He cried that out so that you and I would never have to experience that wrath and judgment and cry out those words for all eternity. 
That was a far greater judgment than any of the plagues he brought upon Egypt. God will ultimately be known by all. He says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and I bring the sons of Israel from their midst. Ultimately, God would be known by the Egyptians after the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn and the past sacrifice of the Passover lamb, who was a picture of Christ. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Christ, our Passover, is sacrifice for us. He is God's Passover lamb. But God will be ultimately known by all because even though there was a great judgment at the cross of Christ 2,000 years ago, there's still a coming judgment a judgment from a great white throne on the mass of lost mankind who has rejected the gospel, there still will be a great judgment when God once for all will judge sin and all who stand before him will know who he is. God the Father has committed all judgment to the Son, Jesus said. Jesus will be that judge on the great white throne. And all will know him then. But according to the scriptures, it'll be too late. It's appointed unto man to die once. And after this comes not a second chance of salvation, but comes judgment, that judgment, before the great white throne. There is no chance of salvation, then would you trust in Jesus Christ now, today, while there's still time? Don't put it off. Don't wait until tomorrow or later this week. The scripture says, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when you're 85 years old and on your deathbed. Now is the accepted time of salvation. Trust in Christ now. You'll never be sorry that you did. Lastly, God wants to be known through lifelong obedience. God has decided that it is obedience that will make him known. So look at this. It's repeated here. We know repetition is important. When the Lord wanted to convey something very important, what did he say? Verily, verily, or truly, truly. When he wanted to make something clear, he would often repeat a person's name. Samuel, Samuel, Saul, Saul, Martha, Martha. Repetition's important. Notice Moses and Aaron did it, and then thus they did. It's repeated a second time. The Lord wants us to focus on this. What did they do? As the Lord commanded them. They were obedient to the Lord's commands, the Lord's instructions. God has decided that obedience will make him known. Now, we've talked about sharing the gospel with the unsaved. You know, that gospel testimony loses a lot of value when our life is a mess, when we sin openly, when we're not a burning and shining light 
of what Christ can do in the life of a person. When we're a hypocrite, that robs the gospel of a lot of force. Sure, the individuals we we share the gospel with are still responsible for their choice of the rejection of Jesus Christ. But it makes it very hard for us to say, all I know is once I was blind, but now I see, when we live like we're still blind. It robs our testimony. You know, besides the four Gospels, I've mentioned this to you before. In fact, maybe a month or two ago, it was appropriate from the passage. But I told you there were five Gospels, and I need to explain that before the elders drag me off the stage here. We know there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but there's a fifth Gospel. And it's expressed in a little poem. You are writing a gospel. You and me, we are writing a gospel, a chapter a day, by deeds that we do, by words that we say. People read what we write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is that gospel according to you? What is the gospel according to Paul or the gospel according to to Mike or to Jim or to Peter? What is the gospel that we are writing? Are the words of our life faithless, or are they true? God has decided that obedience will make him known. That is a powerful testimony when your life reflects the values of Scripture and Jesus Christ, when when your life reflects the character of Jesus Christ. That is a burning and shining light. And God can use you throughout your life to make him known. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. You're never too young, you're never too old to be used of the Lord to make God known. You know, there's no retirement from the Christian faith. I retired from being an engineer. I'm not an engineer anymore, but I'm never going to retire from being a Christian, being someone who could also share the gospel with someone in need. There's no retirement from that. Moses was 80, Aaron was 83. We know Moses would continue to serve the Lord and be the spokesman for the Lord for another 40 years until he was 120. God can use you at any stage of your life. Never think that there's some point in your life where God cannot use you. Oh, Paul, I've known people who, you know, they're confined to a bed. I mean, they're, they're in their 90s, they're bedridden, they, they, they may not have long left on the earth. How can God use them? Prayer. Prayer. I wonder how many in that situation have prayed for others' endeavors in serving the Lord. God can use us at any stage of our life as long as we have breath and as long as we're willing to be used by him.
So today, let me leave you with some questions, parting challenges, questions for self-examination. Today, will you begin to prayerfully desire daily to know God more personally and intimately? Would you make that a prayer that you would pray each day? That that day, God may be more real to you than he's ever been in your life, that you would draw closer to him in a more intimate relationship and understanding of him and a deeper desire to love him more throughout the day. And would you begin to prayerfully desire daily to make him known to others? Prayerfully is the key because some of this doesn't come naturally, especially if the sun's not shining and the birds aren't singing when we wake up. So it needs to be a matter of prayer. Would you do that daily? That ask God to give you a daily desire to make him known to others by the way you live, by the words that you say to others. Would you do that? I hope and pray that you do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for your word, how we thank you for your goodness to us, how we thank you for the gift of your beloved son, your lamb, who has taken away our sin, who has done for us what we could never do ourselves. How thankful we are. Oh, Lord, uh, we thank you that you want to know us. And you do know us, and you want us to know you. Would you be pleased, dear, dear God, to reveal yourself more deeply and intimately with us as we seek to walk in obedience all the days of our life. And dear God, would you give us a heart and desire to make you known to others? To encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ and to share the gospel with the lost. Give us that desire, dear God, to hand a good gospel tract to others or to speak a word of personal testimony or the gospel as you open the door. Would you do that, dear God? And we will thank you for using us in that way to serve you and to bring you glory. We ask all this for your name's sake. Amen.